when I turned 30 up until when you know three years later I think that whole time I was like I need to do something you know about this but I don't know how um and just that constant sort of like right you know I'm not going to drink on Thursdays Fridays you know like those those things I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink in the week or I'm only gonna drink maybe I'll just drink beer because I don't really like beer you know or maybe I'll only drink like champagne um because it's quite expensive all those kind of role rules things and then being like no I'm definitely gonna quit like I'm gonna quit I'm gonna quit and then be like get to sort of Friday and just be so frazzled be like oh okay I, I won't Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we enable people to change their relationship with alcohol and then go on to thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Having a sober tribe has helped me understand that, you know, there are so many people who have kicked the drinking habit out there who are part of the tribe and they share their stories. And every now and again, they remind us where they came from. And when you join the tribe, you realize that they came, they started right where you are where you couldn't put the bottle down and one day they did. And when they're sitting there telling you they've got 200 days, 400 days, however many days, even 40 days is quite a feat. It is so encouraging and that's what has kept me going. So thank you to the tribe. I am so grateful to have let the drink go. So if you want to join our community and get a bit of support, just go to tribesober.com and click on join our tribe. My guest this week is Mandy Manners, who has a recovery story of her own, and now she helps others to get sober. Mandy and I have something else in common apart from our sobriety. We are both Brits and we're both married to Frenchmen. So among the many other topics we discussed, we talked about the culture differences between the UK and France when it comes to alcohol. So I began by asking Mandy to introduce herself. Well, I don't like the term expat, but I am a, a, a Brit living in France. Um, I've been here for 15 years, um, originally from the West Country in the UK, but then kind of lived in Brighton and also London. Um, I've got two kids. Yeah, and I'm married to a Frenchman. So that's kind of how we started this conversation, right, about um, about our respective 
um, experiences of um, that culture cl- clash, I guess, between the British and um, French culture and, and drinking. Um, so I'm a recovery coach. Um, I do a lot of kind of work around trauma um, and I am a trainer. So I run a course for in addictive behaviors for other coaches for the coaching academy. Um, and I run Love, Love Sober, which is a podcast and community um, with another coach called Kate Bailey. Um, um, and we wrote a book um, for busy mums called Love Yourself Sober, which is um, a self-care guide to alcohol-free living. Okay, well, I'll make sure that everything is in the uh, show notes so that people can make contact and buy your book, which sounds fabulous. Well done. Thank you. So let's uh, talk about the drinking, shall we? <laughs> let's. Um, I think you, like many of us, you started drinking as a teenager. I mean, how old were you when you had your first drink and thought, oh, this is nice? Um, well, interestingly, I didn't like it when I f- first drank. Um, I, I mean, I started young, probably like 14. I, I think I tried it um, probably like end of primary school, so 11, 12. You know, I was very much a kind of mischievous kid from the age of 14, kind of regularly kind of binge drinking at the weekends in the park, um, you know, and smoking weed as well. Um, and, you know, quickly progressed to doing a lot of kind of recreational drugs as well as a young person. Um, and it was at that time, I mean, I said I didn't like it because I didn't like being out of control. Um, so certainly like, yeah, I didn't like how it changed people. It used to make me quite angry, certainly at that time. And even at that point, I sort of self-identified, like I stopped drinking white wine when I was probably like 15 um, until I was like 20 because it made me really angry. So I, I think I had a kind of conscious awareness of this thing, but I, you know, was so desperately um, wanted to be liked and to belong that, you know, any kind of yeah reasoning that that it probably wasn't a good idea got firmly put on the back burner but yeah I mean I didn't really it drinking didn't really become a problem for me um, until after I had my kids really Um, before that you know it was kind of I mean it was problematic like I was binge drinking you know I mean we used to do horrible things like you know make ourselves sick so we could drink more you know just and that was very much just kind of normalized 90s British culture of just like getting absolute like you know those kind of let's get wasted you know let's let's get blathered let all the language around it was just like let's get you know out of our heads let's get completely you know gone um so blackouts um were quite a thing um but I think because I was kind of in that rave culture at that point you know it it got a lid my drinking got a lid on it because of kind of doing other recreational drugs you know something people don't talk about a lot but you know we 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 demonize those drugs and and alcohol is okay but you know actually essentially they're all drugs right and I think alcohol definitely did me the most damage Uh, so yeah that's how it began began I was quite an anxious kid and that was my social lubricant I suppose at the beginning Mm. just to kind of um, make those hard edges go away you know I like what you said about all these expressions we have in English, you know, let's get hammered is another one. Mm. And we, I was exactly the same. You would go out in the evening and you'd go out to get a result, wouldn't you? <laughs> and then yeah. the next day you'd feel terrible and all be commiserating. And it was it was just so normalised, wasn't it? And then, uh, you know, our French husbands, well, I don't know about yours, but mine didn't get that kind of thinking pattern at all. You know, for him, 
Um, a glass of wine is something you have with an, a, a nice meal. You know, it's it's not about going out and, and getting completely hammered. I, I don't think there's even a French expression for that. You, you, you'll know better than me. Yeah, Does your husband I mean, kind of struggle with your your tales of your early days as well, or or is he? Well, um, well, so my husband moved to England, so you know, I think he, he was quite attracted by that kind of that lifestyle, you know, that at that time. Um, and I think because French culture had been quite rigid, like there's great mm. parts about it, but there is quite a lot of rigidity, you know, about how you dress, what you wear, you know, conforming, like there is that kind of like group speak as it were. Um, and I think he, at that point when he was a teenager was just like, I want something more. So I think I was quite attractive in that sense of like, the exotic of just like not really caring you know I never really wore makeup like unless I was going out I was quite kind of and just one of the the lads really and I think that at that time he found that very kind of exciting and you know and we were young but I think the thing the difference for him was very much that when you know we became parents and when we moved back when we moved to France he was like okay done that bit you know now we're adults we're moving on and you know now sort of adapting to that back into French culture which is about sort of respecting the you know the provenance of the wine and drinking fine wines and he could make that sort of change into being more moderate which I hate that word but um but I couldn't you know yeah, um yeah. yeah I think for, for many people Mandy they they have the party years, the crazy years, and then when they get, you know, late twenties, early thirties, become parents is a obvious time. Then they they kind of leave it and they switch. You know, your husband's thinking, I absolutely get that. But for some of us, I mean, you and I are probably classic examples. It's not that easy no. <laughs> because by then we're dependent. Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, I've got a trauma story, you know, that I hadn't owned in my young years, and I hadn't understood how much that that had impacted on my brain and and impacted on how I um, function in the world and being hypervigilant so alcohol became a tool to cope um, in a way that my husband doesn't have that story right so he could um, and I know for a lot of people they're like why why me and not them you know and um, that was a huge journey just to be because I kept pushing it I kept going back to it like because there was this sort of association with alcohol that if I could drink normally then I would be a normal person and then the trauma wouldn't matter and I wouldn't have depression and I would be fixed. You know, there was a real kind of narrative that I can fix myself. And part of that is being able to drink like a normal person, which is now is just kind of bizarre because I wouldn't even want to touch it. You know, it's a toxic, horrible thing that does no good to me whatsoever. But certainly that brought me back many times, like, why can he do it? And I can't. Mm. Um, and I think owning that sort of your own story and your own sensibilities. I was a very sensitive kid, um, you know, very empathic. You know, I'm still sort of working through a lot of that makes me a brilliant coach, but also means that I have to look after myself quite a lot. Um, and he just is pretty sort of OK in his boots, you know, and always has been. And also, I mean, he didn't drink when he was young. I mean, he because he was in that kind of French court, he was very into tennis. Um, so his sort of drinking years were quite short. It was between the age of kind of, I'd say, like, yeah, 18 and, and 26 you know, whereas mine was 14 to 
30 mm. plus <laughs> so yeah so you obviously yeah. had a dream like many of us have these unattainable dreams of moderating and now I mean we'll talk more about your your drinking in a moment but now you you've accepted that you can't moderate and you're you're very happy being sober which is wonderful um and I just wondered what kind of challenging you get being in France if you don't drink at all because just as they think that us Brits are mad you know for drinking so much they also think we're a bit mad if we don't drink at all you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober yeah it's a different thing you know because I was reflecting on this because I've just come back from the UK and it's incredibly hard to get sober in the UK because it's everywhere you know you've got like advertising in the tube you know it's all the time on tv programs like every cooking program it's so normalized it's absolutely everywhere and you know English culture revolves around that festive drinking binge drinking pub life so I was like I got back and I was like wow you know like actually even though France had its own challenges in a way it's been easier because I don't have to deal with that I don't have to deal with my family system I don't have to deal with my friend system I've been able to to kind of do it on my own and being drunk as a woman and again this was something that I kind of struggled against because I'm a feminist but being drunk as a woman in France is not well seen Um, so there certainly was that kind of backlash like yeah you know rein it in so I did have that kind of reaction to it at one point. I was just like, you know, whatever, I'm going to drink with the lads. Like, and all the men loved it. They were like, wow, who's this girl drinking whiskey and, you know, cognac with us? So in that sense, the drinking too much in France is not celebrated. But as you say, not being able to drink at all is almost offensive because it's you know it's pride of France it's kind of like I mean I've been joking recently because I've got a bit of gut issues and I was like oh my goodness I'm going to be that person that like doesn't drink red wine eat dairy or like eat baguette you know like I'll be a a social pariah Um, but actually people I think when you frame it in a positive way and you frame it through health it's like because the French are so health conscious um you know, you can just sort of say, I just, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I feel so much better when I don't drink at all. Um, I still get those comments. And there is a narrative in France that's still very black and white, like you're either an alcoholic, you know, there's the disease model, which is still talked about a lot in France, which luckily we're moving away from in, you know, Anglo-Saxon culture. Um, so I, I mean, I have had a couple of times where people, you know, at dinner parties across the table be like, so what are you an alcoholic? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> slightly <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> yes. You know, and now I wish I just sort of said, yeah, I am. And what do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, I don't use that term. I'm not in 12 step program. It's not something that I, I don't la- label myself as an alcoholic purely because I, I I knew and have experienced sort of end stage dependency in drinking and that wasn't where I was so it's kind of in respect for their own amazing journey to get out of that place you know there is this gray area and that's certainly where I was you know I I could stop by myself without any kind of medical intervention it was hard but I you know could do it but it was very much a sort of social relationship to alcohol rather than end stage thing 
So I think there's a respect. But France, they don't know any of that. They're just like, you're either an alcoholic and you're on the streets or you're, you know, you should be able to have one glass of wine. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it, it gets easier, doesn't it, over the years just to to bat that away and, and have your own way of dealing with it. And mm. uh, I'm quite proud to be sober these days, whereas I used to be terribly embarrassed in the early days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like with any part of that, sort of recovery journey is it takes time you know it's the same with a trauma story or any other kind of addiction story it's it's it takes time and it's all fine you know it's like whatever you're at I mean we always say to women in our community it's like just say you're on antibiotics fine to lie you know at the beginning and just choose your people as well I mean I'm very open so I definitely trip myself up a few times kind of someone were like so you don't drink and I'd be like no you know um I have insomnia issues I'd be like what not at all and I'd be like no well you know I used to be a real party girl so what not even a cider that's what the French say no you know um like I had quite a difficult time when I was a young person and then you realize you've kind of told this semi-stranger like your life story and then feel pretty icky about it so yeah, yeah. it's kind of just finding the sharing your vulnerability in a way which is appropriate for absolutely and I always think um, Mandy it's not our job to make other people feel comfortable you know we we are who we are and we need to get on with our lives and you know we we did enough didn't we when we were teenagers fitting in well now you know let's let's be be who we are because it's it's so refreshing when we finally accept who we are and and live that 100 percent yeah so I um I know that you had your a little flash of sober curiosity, didn't you? Uh, maybe you didn't call it that back then, but uh, in your twenties, and you came across someone who didn't drink at all, and uh, it made me smile in your story because it was like, wow, how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, was it your husband's sister? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so my my husband's sis, elder sister, who's super beautiful, like successful, Paris. She was, you know, living at, in Paris at the time. Didn't drink, like, um, and she's never drank. I mean, she used to sort of. She she's. Well, I asked her quite recently. She said, you know, she was quite a heavy smoker, and then she had a drink, and she was just like, I don't want another thing, and that was it. You know, so yeah, when I met her, when I was like twenty. We got together when I was 22, yeah, and I just was amazed and just, yeah, couldn't get my head around it. And she was going to festivals and she, you know, read loads of books, was really into music and she just drink tea, you know, and she had these little pots. She would always have a little posh tea, as I call it, you know, with some, like leaf tea and a nice teapot. And yeah, I just opened my eyes and I just found it super inspirational. I was just like, I want, I want that you know and she was so you did was it six months you you had a yeah yeah so we um I mean because we it was that sort of thing of like right I need to change like I'd put on loads of weight like our, our lifestyle was really unhealthy um and so we started sort of doing you know a detox in January just to sort of kind of prove a point I think uh, and then I couldn't do it, which was quite interesting, but I just ignored that at the time. Um, and then we just were like, okay, let's just take off six months. 
and I loved it and it was you know we went to the farmer's market on a Saturday morning and we just like had loads of food we discovered because we were living in Brighton and I did my studies there I didn't know Brighton at all like I'd never been anywhere so we just got in the car every day and we go for these long drives um, and interestingly you know my husband didn't drink for that six months either um, and he just lied to people he was just where he'd go out and say he was drinking like JD and coke and he'd just have a coke um, and but people were more would challenged me more um, yeah and then I fell pregnant and um, and we moved to France so it was all like this real whirlwind kind of time because we were between you know shall we stay and have a baby and like make our life in England or shall we go to France for you know a new adventure um, and my husband hadn't got a job so we were like okay let's stay here and have a baby and then he got a job and then I was pregnant so we moved when I was three months pregnant which is kind of where everything started to yeah go a bit wrong really because I mean, we were talking about it before weren't we the kind of isolation of living in another country and not making friends and yeah so I had two kids in very quick succession so they're 19 months apart and I just couldn't I couldn't cope yeah so um and that's when the drinking definitely became a kind of coping strategy um yeah yeah I think you had a quite a difficult patch didn't you between 2010 and 2013 and like uh, like us all you you've got many stories to to share tell us about the the foot injury and when yeah. you had <laughs> to come and rescue you <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, I think like, because obviously I've done a lot of therapy now, right? And I've we wrote a book and I trained, so I, I've done a lot of self-analysis of what kind of happened. But I think when my daughter was born, like I had a huge kind of trauma response because all of a sudden I had this little girl that I had to look after um and that just threw me like I was just like I I don't know how to protect her and keep her safe um and you know there was that and then no then and then you know I had I've had long-term sort of trauma-induced insomnia um hypervigilance so I wasn't sleeping um and then um but I was still quite young. So I was 26 when I had my daughter, 28 when I had my son. So all my friends were not, didn't have kids and were having all their crazy kind of 30th birthday parties. So I was stuck in this kind of no man's land of like, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm a mum and I need to protect these people, but I don't know any other way. And everyone else is still doing this stuff. So I'd like leave the kids in France, go to England, have these mad, crazy, like, vendors of no sleep and then come back and then try and be a mum again and like and be exhausted and then I got a really good job on top of it you know so I was working as a professor in a university like um really kind of high level and the students loved me and I got that sense of reward again so but they were obviously very young so it was like cool that we go for drinks with them after work so it was all just this whole like mess of things um so I was really and I was having a lot of rage issues because of the kind of trauma stuff trying to control stuff I couldn't control and so my 
I'd been away in Mallorca with a friend and we'd had this crazy weekend. I came back and I was, you know, absolutely exhausted. The kids didn't want to eat, you know, something that I cooked. Um, And so I got cross and then I got cross at myself because I, you know, got cross at them and I kicked a wall with um, leather boots on and, and shattered my, my foot. And it was sort of winter. It was, uh, my husband was away because he worked, he's in sales. So he worked away a lot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I now, I was like crawling up the stairs with two kids under five at the time, just going, I don't know what to do. Um, it was really icy outside, couldn't get out of the house. So in the end, yeah, I phoned my dad and was just like, I need you to come and get me and the kids. You know, can we come and stay for Christmas? Um, I've broken my foot. I didn't tell the truth. I said I'd fallen down the stairs. And I so I spent sort of the Christmas in in England just going, I don't know what's going like. I don't know how to get better, you know, from this. Um, so there definitely was about fr- from that kind of when I turned 30, up until when you know three years later I think that whole time I was like I need to do something you know about this but I don't know how um and just that constant sort of like right you know I'm not going to drink on Thursdays Fridays you know like those those things I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink in the week or I'm only gonna drink maybe I'll just drink beer because I don't really like beer you know or maybe I'll only drink like champagne um because it's quite expensive all those kind of role rules things and then being like no I'm definitely gonna quit like I'm gonna quit I'm gonna quit and then be like get to sort of Friday and just be so frazzled be like oh okay I, I won't yeah, I, I don't know if you saw that study that came out recently from The Tempest about some the average person. I think they asked 250 people in recovery. How long was it between when you first registered, I've got a problem here, to when you got help, when you actually mm. reached out and did something about it? And I was staggered to see it was the average was 11 years. But when I think about it, I'm, I was definitely in the moderation trap for at least 10 years, you know, stopping yeah. and starting, stopping and starting. So I don't think that is so, um, so long for most of us. How long do you think it was for you? Well, I mean, I was sober curious from when I was like, you know, 22, right? So, and I quit when, finally, finally quit when I was, I'm really bad with dates now, I'm going to get it wrong. So it was 2017, so when I was 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because when you say you were sober curious, uh, was that you were thinking of a a sober lifestyle and what must it be like? Or Yeah, it was just like, you know, like seeing my sister-in-law, I was just like, wow, maybe there's another way to live. Maybe like maybe people don't drink. Maybe they don't, you know. Yeah, sort of. I mean, at that time we lived when we lived in Brighton, there was an odd, odd bins that are, you know, just down the road and um you know it was buy two get one free bottles of wine you know and so we'd buy them we drink them all you know and I was like maybe and then I'd like eat like yeah like a bacon sandwich and then some more and then some chocolate and you know all the rest the next day feel wretched and then do exactly the same thing so it's like when I saw someone that was enjoying their life that didn't drink at all I was like wow Mm. um and that's why we're doing the work we're doing right because for so long it's been this 
black and white conversation that it's like you know you you have to hit rock bottom to be able to make a change and 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 what we're learning is that so many people are questioning they're drinking a long 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 time before that and if we can grab them at that point and say hey you know there's another way you know there's like you can just not drink and it's actually really cool and really nice for your body then we're not going to get that those people that are losing everything to exactly. you know a dependency issue yeah. so i love the sober curious movement because finally rather than saying i'm an alcoholic or i don't drink people can say well i'm sober curious you know mm. that's so much easier and lighter to say mm. isn't it if you're really being hassled so yeah. I think the sober curious phrase, I mean, it's just one phrase and good on, was it Ruby Warrington for writing that book and yeah. phrasing to our vocabulary? I think it's it's going to help a, a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. So as far as you were concerned, um, summer of 2013, uh, I think that was your your turning point and you, you accepted that um, you were going to make a change then even though it wasn't your entire, you, you had these stretches. I mean, back in 2003, you had your six months off, didn't you? I didn't ask you, why did you start drinking after that? I mean, did it occur to you to stay? I think because at that point, it was just like a challenge. So I hadn't, you know, really considered that I had a problem or whatever. It was just like a nice stop. And then when I had my daughter, you know, um, it was kind of that, I didn't drink at all when I was pregnant with her. And then it was like that celebratory, let's have a really nice glass of red wine, you know, to celebrate the the birth of our child kind of thing. Um, I mean, and it quickly escalated to me drinking too much. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think I really, I, I think sort of um, 2013 was very much like everything was falling apart like I was very depressed you know I was you know had quite a lot of suicidal ideation I was you know nothing was going well you know I was I was really struggling I was a complete burnout from work wasn't coping um and so I I went to therapy I mean that was the 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 thing that I and interestingly I had to tell my husband because I couldn't articulate everything in French to the doctor so I wrote it all down for him and he had to come with me and explain it to the doctor which is quite a mad experience but you know great because it forced that vulnerability between us and then you know it was very much around my depression at that point and around my kind of past and the trauma and all that sort of stuff so at one you know at the beginning I was going to therapy like twice a week and then once a week and then sort of every other week and I mean that's the amazing thing about France is you know the healthcare system is is there you know and my GP was also a a sort of cognitive behavioral therapist he was also an addiction counselor so it was a real gift from somewhere that he was in my life really and um, but we never really talked about the drinking it was all the other stuff. Um, and it was only when I started to get a bit better, you know, I was on antidepressants and I was going to see him a lot um, that I was like, this is, I'm still coming back to this, you know, and I'm still using that to get to sleep and I'm still feeling pretty rubbish about it. Um, so then I, um, 
yeah looked online which a lot of us have done thank goodness and found soberistas and so that was the first support system that I had you know um, and we're just like I know it's not that bad but it doesn't feel good um, and just reading those inspirational stories and just connecting with other people and chatting on the forum um, really saved me you know Uh, And it took a while. So I think I logged on there in December and then it was April when I actually got it to stick. Uh, And then from April, I did a year. And again, I think for a lot of people, we have this narrative that it's like, well, if I can sort everything else out, then I can drink like a normal person. Um, And I because for ages, I didn't understand why I went back after a year because that year was amazing you know I, I ran a half marathon I quit my stressful job we moved to the seaside like I made all these life changes but then I was like literally about three days after my year I was like oh yeah I can moderate yeah. um have you heard I, about this thing that William Porter talks about feeding effect bias yeah I, I think I can really uh, resonate with that my own experience because you just forget how bad things were don't you, you forget about the blackouts and the depressions and everything and your your brain starts saying oh what about that time that weekend it was so awesome when we're all drinking our heads off it kind of glamorizes those memories and that's what drags us down to thinking oh I can have just one surely yeah and I think you know I mean Kate and I were doing a lot of work around kind of nervous system regulation and um, I think a lot of us get to the point where we get rid of the stressors so it's like okay I drink because I'm stressed or overwhelmed or burnt out or whatever so we get rid of the stressors but we don't deal with the underlying stress you know so whenever that that big thing comes up um, and you're you know yeah, you're facing something you haven't faced before, then it's like, I don't have the coping strategy because my body is so kind of stressed, you know, the underlying stress of my nervous system. I'm running on cortisol levels all the time, um, which is, yeah, I think it's then the kind of the easy solution. It flips back, right? Because you don't have that kind of resilience to, to face it in a different way. Yeah. And, and yeah, we 100% forget how bad it was, you know, which is why it's important to kind of stay connected to some sort of community um, to just have that kind of, yeah, resonance of, oh, yeah, God, I did that as well, you know, mm-hmm. and have that feedback of of helping. And, and yeah. that was. And I think if care. we're in a community, then we can. Uh, not only does it, it help us stay connected, but we also see people that are maybe a bit further on than uh, we are in their sobriety and they're, they're thriving and they're mm. growing and they're enjoying it. So that inspires us to keep going. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's really difficult to do this alone. Mm. And it's such a relief when you meet, I mean, you talk about being on Soberistas, I was on there too, and you see all these other people and you think, oh, it's not just me, you know, it's not yeah. just me that's, that's like this. There's, there's millions of people out there. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. And I think what's so great now is because, you know, I did go back to drinking and then, you know, I would then I'd show up in Soberistas every sort of three months and go back again. Oh, sorry. Kind of thing. Um, But I kind of and it's not at all what happened, but I felt like I couldn't go back again. Like I just couldn't. So 
and that's when I started my Instagram account so I was like okay so I started something new and that's what's so fantastic is there's so many communities so it's like you know if someone's listening it's like I can't go back and tell them again it's like there's somewhere else like there's so many and 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 at that point I found she recovers in the states so those were my community I guess so until we started our own but Instagram at that point has changed a lot now but was brilliant and then I met because of Instagram I met a group of women in in the states and joined the sort of she recovers um, movement and I think because of the trauma story, I when I went to She Recovers in LA, the big conference, and I sat there listening to all these women, I was like, okay, it it was a symptom of of the bigger picture, you know, because I never felt comfortable saying I'm in recovery from, you know, from alcohol, because it was like, well, it just didn't sit. But I was like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely in recovery from trauma. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, those kind of elements together really help to sort of cement it and go, OK, but I can I can work with this and and just not hurt myself anymore, yeah. really. Yeah. You know? Often alcohol's the, the missing piece in the puzzle, isn't it? We think, yeah, oh, I fix this and fix that. Then I can surely I can moderate them. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. So here you are, Mandy, nearly four years sober. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Thanks. With all of us, it hasn't been an easy road. (laughs) But uh, how how are you feeling today and um, what would have been the major benefits for you? Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I um, we've got a lot of I've got a lot of turbulence in my life at the moment. My parents, unfortunately, have to move out of our family home because of a an inheritance situation that happened due to COVID um so I've just been in London kind of saying goodbye to my home there um we've just moved a house here um and um so yeah I'm I'm not in the best the best day I've I've ever been to be honest but um but it's okay because I'm sober, so it's fine, I you know. And I've got that. I've <laughs> hoping better with it than you would have been if you'd been uh, numbing 100%. out. One hundred percent, yeah. So, and I think that's really important for people to know. It's like it's not like I mean, there's so many gifts. I my sleep's better. My relationship with my kids is better. Uh, my relationship with my husband is better, even though he, you know, he still drinks. But we we've worked it out to work for both of us. Um, you know, I changed my career. I used to be a teacher. I now, you know, I'm a coach. I write books. I write courses. Like I'm super fulfilled. Um, you know, I love our community. There's been so much, but yeah, life still is hard and challenging. And, and what the difference is now is you build a toolkit of strategies to cope, um, so yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm really good and I'm excited. I I mean some people find milestones, you know, quite challenging or they don't like to count. Um and I certainly did in the beginning because it was like, oh, <laughs> I've already done a year and now I'm on day 20. So I did these like complex math, you know, mathematical things where I'd be like, well, it'd be, you know, it's 20 days, but it's plus 372 plus, you know, those that six months. So I was always like, I've, I've over this period, because I've been on this journey for, yeah, like seriously for over eight years, 
So it's like I've I've done more sober time than drinking time. Yeah, it's definitely but a thing, isn't it? That sober yeah. time. We get people that have, you know, like you, they've had a year and then they've gone off and done something else and then they've come back. And mm. we, we have trackers that people use and uh, they say, oh, do I really have to go back to do Yeah. And we just say, well, it's up to you, you know. You it's up to you, yeah. Whatever motivates you, that's the way. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, once I once I got past that year, you know, and I could yeah. kind of claim that, then I was like, right, the, you know, it's back on. And I do, I feel really proud, you know, it's like, it's fantastic, like four years and, you know, what will five years feel like and what will I be doing then, you know, and just yeah. that kind of opening up of my life, whereas it was so narrow and so yeah. close. It's like, all I did was drink yeah, well, that's wine in front of the TV. Of that was my life, you know. <laughs> Because um, you lose interest in, in everything else. So your life gets yeah. small. And what we love seeing, I mean, obviously it's happened to me, but I witness it all the time. People's lives are opening up, you know, and they're yeah. discovering other things and talents and they're writing and they're painting. And it's just beautiful how sobriety opens up your life again. Yeah. Uh, Mandy, if there's someone listening to this and they think, oh, well, these two are sober and they don't sound that boring, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll give it a whirl. How, how do you think someone should get started because that's the most difficult bit someone who hasn't even dabbled in sobriety yet well I'd say like reach out to a community you know um whatever sort of takes your fancy whatever you know sort of listen to your gut it's so hard because we you know intrinsically told to ignore our desires needs and wants but you know that it will be in your gut when you're scrolling through the internet you know just go with your instinct sign up to a community and just put a post and just say hi I'm new you know I'm terrified but I'm thinking of quitting drinking um so I don't know how to start and then just let the community hold you you know and and everyone's walked this path and we know that it's not a straight line and that it will take time and just just that daily commitment like making it really small you know because of course like a year seems too much or Christmas seems unmanageable or a holiday seems unmanageable so just focus on today you know just make that daily commitment like I'm not going to I'm not going to drink today um, and I'm going to ask myself, what do I really need? And just focus on that question. What do I really need? Like, why is it that I do this? And what do I really need? And I know like 99% of the time for women, it's rest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like taking things off the list. It's getting in your like pajama, pajama armor, as we say, you know, just taking it really slow and just, you know, and I think because we rely so much on willpower, you know, we're trying not to eat cake. We're trying not to, you know, say the wrong thing to our parents. We're trying not to like get annoyed at the kids. We're trying to be perfect, all these things. Um, and then we're trying not to drink. It's just, it's a lot and your willpower can't sustain that. But so just take, make it super simple, take everything off, you know, just day by day, have a bath, go to bed have yeah. a bath go to bed you know and this won't be life forever but just get that first sort of month under your belt um, and prioritize your sobriety yeah. you know because it, it's yeah. like laying a foundation isn't it so make yeah. that your number one priority and if you know people or things don't fit in with that then find a way to to push yeah. them away just for a short time yeah 
And yeah, I agree about the community, you know, and try several until you find your right community. I had to. I started off at AA and thought, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. So then I had to, you know, I was like you. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. Well, I might mm. be, but I'm, I refuse to keep labeling myself. I just yeah. felt that was so bad, for, you know, for my self-esteem. <laughs> so, yeah, I eventually found uh, someone in the UK, actually, because uh, I tried uh, AA here in South Africa. I tried several groups, but it was a bit counter productive for me because a lot of them were drinking a lot you know more than I was I mean I was on Mm. my bottle of wine a day which was not sustainable but uh, they were on a bottle of scotch a day and I was thinking well I don't drink in the mornings maybe I'm not that bad so it was the fading effect bias coming back but I, I just didn't feel like I'd found my people you know so eventually I found my people in uh, back in the UK I went to a one-day workshop uh, run by Club Soda who I'm sure you amazing know. yeah it yeah, just yeah. worked for me somehow I mean one day that's all it took just for someone to tell me exactly what alcohol was doing to my brain and my body and um you know I thought wow it's really that bad but more than that the the people there they were like me you know they were women with good jobs nice families drinking a bottle of wine a night so we bonded swapped numbers and yeah we helped each other to stay on track amazing that is so important and it's such a relief to meet people that understand you you know they understand why you can't just have one glass of wine yeah (laughs) whereas some of your friends think well no, you don't have to give up altogether. So it's it's a relief. A community is is a must, I think. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, I think um, this came from a friend of mine who is in the fellowship actually, but it was a really good tool and we put it in the book and I think I use it with every client, but it's like, you know, do a traffic light system for the people in your life. So, you know, red, orange, green, just at this beginning point, you know, and just sort of say, right, who are my people that I know won't judge me don't have anything to say about it are going to have my back and they're probably going to be your sober community at the beginning and potentially someone you know that really really loves you but it's it's probably not going to be the people you think it is it might even be your hairdresser do you know what I mean that's the person that doesn't judge you the most and then you've got the red people which is like they're never going to get it they're never gonna they're just going to try and persuade me other way to put them and then you're going to have all these orange people that are like I don't know, maybe, maybe they might, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're going to invite me to that wedding. It's like, put them all in the red at the beginning, you know, just put them, just just keep, protect yourself and your sobriety as much as possible. You know, just sort of focus on those people that are going to support you no matter what. And the rest will sort itself out, you know. It will, but it just takes a bit of time and just really just self-protect yourself. Um, and I couldn't have done it without you know, the community and, and just to see people having fun and, and living. I mean, I went, my first social was with Club Soda and I, you know, we've spoken at the festival a couple of times and they're doing amazing stuff and, and there's stuff everywhere in the world. I mean, there's great stuff in, in Australia, you're doing stuff in South Africa, you know, it's, it's, 
there is stuff. It's a global movement, which yeah. is exciting because when I when I gave up um, more than six years ago, now there was nothing really. Yeah, was AA or well, there was Club Sober, thank goodness, because I found them. But mm. and there were no alcohol-free drinks. It, you either yeah. drink, uh, a warm Coke or a glass of water, and and that made me feel even more sorry for myself in the early days yeah. but now I mean we have even here in South Africa we've got a company called Drink Nil they're an online shop started by two ladies about six months ago and they've got more than a hundred alcohol-free choices and they deliver it to your door you know nationwide Fantastic. yeah and that kind of thing never used to happen and there's money in that you know the mm. manufacturers even the breweries are bringing out their alcohol-free beer they realize it's it's a thing it's yes. a societal shift and we were the trailblazers indeed indeed <laughs> yeah I, I love your traffic light thing you say that's in your book yeah it is yeah so talk to us about your book and your podcast and your community. I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, just tell us. Yeah, so um, we're actually writing book two at the moment. So that will be um, available probably this time next year. Um, so Love Yourself Sober, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, it's the book that we needed really, you know, so it's our personal experience, Kate and I's you know sobriety journey Kate's also a coach um and we met online and you know sort of started to work together so she had a I had a podcast idea because I was listening to podcasts in the states and I thought we kind of need you know one for the the British experience so Love Sober the podcast I mean we've done 140 episodes now I think we've probably had every single sober sort of person on inspirational person so um, and it's been great for keeping us accountable and just checking in so it's very much an honest chat about motherhood um, drinking you know and self-care really and and kind of that essential question and the book yeah is is kind of all that we've ever known and and worked out really um, things like for example you know for ages I didn't understand why I went back to drinking after a year, but I I knew that like now I realized that I had it as a goal. I was just like, okay, you know, if I can do a year, then I don't have a problem. Um, So I realized that like if I sort of saw them as milestones and just to kind of tap, you know, and then just check in and then just keep going and throw the kind of, you know, the the idea a bit further, sort of like that's a month. What does two months look like? You know, that really helped me. So you know, that's in the book, loads of kind of self uh, reflection tools about, you know, because we're coaches, so lots of coaching tools. So there you heard me talking to Mandy Manners. Let's pick out a few highlights from that conversation. Mandy was a binge drinker during her teenage years, and she also took some recreational drugs. Mandy explained how her French husband also used to drink a lot, But once they got married and had children, he felt those days were behind them. And in fact, he was able to cut down without much difficulty. But Mandy found it far more difficult to change her drinking patterns, as she'd obviously developed a degree of dependence. She had managed a whole year of sobriety at some stage, but with hindsight, she realizes that it didn't stick because she'd not quite made the decision to stop. She was merely proving to herself that she could do a year and then she was planning to moderate. 
When Mandy moved to France with two young children, she felt isolated and found herself drinking even more. We say connection is the opposite of addiction. Because if we don't develop relationships with people, then we tend to develop a relationship with alcohol or drugs. She did experience a bit of sober curiosity when she met her sister-in-law, who didn't drink. Her sister-in-law loved music, went to festivals, and seemed to be perfectly happy, all without booze. What a mystery. Eventually, Mandy reached out to Soberistas, and she found belonging to a community a great help. The relief of talking to others who don't judge, people who understand you straight away. And if somebody wants to get started on this journey, we both agreed that finding a community is an essential first step. We both love the Sober Curious movement and think it will help many people. It's so much easier to self-identify as being merely sober curious rather than having a problem. Mandy said that many people seem to be waiting to sort out other parts of their life before they stop drinking. But in fact, I believe it works much better the other way around. Stop drinking and then you'll get the clarity of thought to be able to examine the other parts of your life. Maybe you need to look at your eating patterns. Maybe you need to implement an exercise program. Maybe you're not very happy in your career. We can look at those things so much easier when we are sober. So Mandy is now four years sober and thriving in her alcohol-free life. She has better relationships with her husband and children. She sleeps better and she's made a career change. She stressed that sobriety will not make your life perfect, but it will enable you to develop the resilience to deal with your problems. And like many of us drinkers, Mandy's life had got very narrow and we both agreed that sobriety has opened our life to so many new possibilities. She explained her traffic light system for categorizing friendships in early sobriety. It's a brilliant tool which you can find in her book. Mandy's book is called Love Yourself Sober, and her podcast is called Love Sober, and her website is mandymanners.com, so please check them all out. Here at Tribe Sober, we're busy preparing for our annual Sober Spring Challenge. That's when we take a group of people through 66 days of sobriety with online community and audio support. So if you are sober curious and want to dip your toe into the waters of sobriety, then why not give it a whirl? Here in South Africa, spring starts in September. But even if it's not spring where you live, you can still sign up to the challenge. Just go to tribesober.com to get more information. We've also got a membership bonus running this month. Just sign up as a subscription member and we'll include a complimentary Sober Spring Challenge with your membership. So if you've been thinking about signing up as a member, it's a perfect time to do this. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and I'll see you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. 
We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.